May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. I wonder if I was to ask you to describe Jesus using three or four words, what those three or four words might be. Hmm. We should find out. So I'm going to invite you to turn around and talk to your neighbours. If you had to describe Jesus using three or four words, what would those words, if you can put the question mark up, what would those three or four words be? Have a conversation. So what were some of those words? Gracious, loving, compassion. Gracious, loving and compassion. What are some other words? Life changing. Life changing. Saviour. Integrity. Yeah. Sorry. Integrity. 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 Healer teacher. Healer teacher. Jewish. Jewish. Indeed. Did you not get that? Any other words? Charismatic. Surprising. Surprising. Selfless. Selfless. Saviour. Saviour, yeah. So the Gospel writers wrote their Gospels in essence to say that in Jesus we meet God. So thinking about those words, how do you experience God using those words? So we often flip it around the other way. We have our ideas about what God is and then we have Jesus. But actually the gospel writers were doing it the other way around. They said, in God, in Jesus, we meet God. You want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. Here's the stories of Jesus. In these stories, you will meet God. So think of those words and then think about how do I experience God as compassionate, Healing, Saviour, loving. loving. Where do I experience that in the world? Where do I experience that in my life? That's what the Gospel writers were inviting us to do when they wrote those Gospels. I wonder what words we might find in today's Gospel reading. So you can put the next one up. I wonder what images of God our Gospel reading from today offers us. It's easy to read the story as a healing story, but we need to be careful when we do that. The first thing to note is, um, in a lot of the translations they talk about leprosy. So. In uh, the reading we heard from the NRSV, Naaman had, was a, had leprosy. But in fact, it's not leprosy as we know. That didn't exist in the Middle East at that time. It was just a skin disease. So the Common English Bible, which is a recent translation, has just decided, okay, so the King James did call it leprosy, but that doesn't mean we have to call it leprosy. So they've gone for the more accurate translation of skin disease all the way through. So in... Second Kings, also Naaman had a skin disease. So we just need to remember that. And the second thing is that when we read these healing stories, they are stories about healing, but the healing isn't the point. And I think we sometimes get hooked up on that. We think the healing is the point, 
and we stop there and we don't really look at the story to see what the story might be telling us. So Jesus does heal, but that it's important, but it's not the point. I mean, we need to remember that while Jesus did heal a lot of people, he also did heal a lot of people. So right at the beginning, after the Sabbath finished, and people came to Peter's and Andrew's house with their sick and their possessed and they wanted more teaching, there were a whole lot of people there that did not get freed, did not get healed. And Jesus went off and people came looking for him because there was more to be done. And he said, I'm not going back, I'm going to all the other towns and villages to preach, to teach in the synagogues, cast out demons and to heal. But even in those places, there were people who did not get healed. And every single one of those people that got healed then got sick and died. It wasn't a permanent thing. So life went on. The world is not full of people who were healed by Jesus. So the healing was important, but only as a signpost. It pointed to something else. And what it was pointing to is verse 15 in chapter 1 of Mark. So this is my version of it, based on the Common English Bible. Now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Let that blow your mind and change your hearts and lives. So that's the word repent. And trust this good news. So what does that mean? Well, the rest of Mark's gospel is really teasing that out. And the first few stories after Jesus says this in the synagogue kind of sets the kind of tone of what's about to come. So it's like those introductions and the stories that, you know, I remember a long time ago when you were writing things at school or university and you did your introductory paragraph kind of stuff. That's what's happening here, introductory paragraphs kind of stuff. So these are really stories about God's kingdom and what God's kingdom looks like so that when we see it, we know that now is the time and it can blow our minds and change our hearts and lives and we can trust this good news. So let's retell the story this morning because it's a really interesting story and it's a really weird story and if we just treat it as a healing story, we miss all the weird bits. So let's have a look at the weird bits. So Jesus... We're going to hear the whole of the first, the beginning of Mark again next week. Well, we've spent a lot of time retelling the same bits of the story, so we're going to go back to the beginning. And the beginning is Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, and then the Spirit drives him out into the wilderness, where he is served by the angels and tested by Satan, and then he comes back and chooses some uh, disciples, and they go to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he teaches, and then he casts out a demon from an unclean an unclean demon from a man who kind of is challenging him and then he goes back to Peter's and Andrew's house and they find that Peter and Andrew's mother-in-law is sick so he heals them and she gets up and he shows she shows the disciples what discipleship is about which is she does the same thing as the angels she serves that's what discipleship is about and then uh, and then he after the Sabbath is over, a whole lot of people come and Jesus goes out into the wilderness to pray and to think about what's happening and they find him because there's more to be done and more teaching to be done and more healing and more casting out of unclean spirits and Jesus says, I'm not going back. We're going to all the towns and villages so I can go to the synagogues and teach. So off they go and they do that and while they're doing that, a leper, well not a leper, a man with a skin disease comes up to him and says... 
If you want to, you can make me clean. So first of all, lepers are not supposed to come up to people and talk to them. Leviticus is very clear about what, leper, what people with skin diseases can do. So that usual translation of leper just keeps leaping into my mind there. So, uh, and it is to stay out, away from where people live, in torn clothes, let their hair grow long, and whenever anyone comes near, they're supposed to say, unclean, unclean, which is to say, stay away, stay away. They are not supposed to come up to the person and say, if you want to, you can make me clean. And then Jesus is, well, what is Jesus? He's filled with compassion. compassion. Is that what I said when I read the reading? He was incensed. Oh, so normally it's translated as compassion, but the Greek can go incensed or compassion. And we like to think of Jesus as being compassionate, so they normally go for compassion. But there's a whole lot of textual reasons around why incensed might be a better translation. And there are some clues in the story about why incensed might be a better translation. So, the Common English Bible has gone with incensed. One or two other translations have as well. So who is or what is Jesus incensed at? At the man or at something else? So if we just kind of glide through with the compassion of Jesus who heals, we kind of miss these these little hooks that are in the story that, that Mark has put there to slow us down and to make us think about what he's trying to do. So Jesus says, I am willing, and he touches him, which he's not allowed to do, and the man is made clean, not healed, but made clean. And then Jesus says, with a snort of anger and distaste, so that's the word sternly, that's how they translate. But in the Greek it's snort with anger and distaste. So that's a clue that maybe that first Greek word was incensed, not compassion. And he says, go, show yourself to the priest, make the sacrifice as, uh, as told by Moses, as a testimony to them. So there's another picture there, Peter. And, well, what does that mean? What kind of testimony is that about? And why does he need to make a testimony to the priests? Surely he's just going there to fulfill the obligations of the law so he can be reintegrated back into community life. That's a very weird statement that Mark threw in there. But the man doesn't do that. The man ignores Jesus, and he goes around telling everyone what Jesus has done, which means Jesus was going to go to all the towns and villages and teach in their synagogues, but he can't anymore because too many people are looking for him. So he now has to live in the wilderness, in the deserted places where the man with the skin disease was living. And the man with the skin disease who was living in the wilderness, in the deserted places, can now go to any town he likes. So Jesus and the man with the skin disease switch places. 
So one of the questions that often comes up is, why does Jesus keep telling people, in Mark's Gospel in particular, to not tell anyone? Well, the first very upfront reason is, for exactly that reason. The more people told what Jesus was doing, the more people were interested, the more who came out to see him, the less he could actually do what he set out to do, which was to go to all the towns and villages in the Galilee to teach in their synagogues. He simply couldn't do that anymore. So he had to live in the wilderness, where the story begins, in the wilderness, being tested by Satan and served by the angels. But also, maybe, well, maybe people just saw him as a cool teacher and a healer, and they weren't willing to go further than that. Maybe they were like Naaman, who was a very important person and a very powerful person. I mean, he had raided Israel and he had an Israeli slave girl and he commanded mighty armies. And the slave girl suggests to him that maybe the prophet in Israel, lowly despised Israel, might be able to help him, which is why the king of Israel is a little miffed by the whole thing. It just sounds like a setup for another raid by the Syrians, the Arameans to kind of the, the, the Syrians to kind of do another little raid and conquer them again. He hasn't got the power to heal. But then Elijah says, come and see me. So Naaman goes to see him, but he's a very important person and he's expecting the prophet to come out and do amazing things. And Elijah can't even be bothered to leave his cave. He just says, sends a servant out and says, just go and bathe seven times in the Jordan. It was very, which kind of said that the Israelite river was better than their rivers. And like it just was all wrong. He was an important person. Important things should happen. People should pay attention to him. And that was kind of what the disciples were after, really, those men. By becoming disciples of somebody who they thought was going to be important, they would become important. And they keep asking questions like, we sit on your left and right hand. Now is the, or in Luke's gospel, you know, is now the time when the kingdom of God is going to come so that we can be in the important places and get all the important and cool stuff. And that wasn't what Jesus was about. So what was Jesus about? Well, that's the cross, which is where we kind of start walking to at the end of the story in the wilderness. The ultimate expression of the wilderness is the cross. So Jesus doesn't want people talking about it until the cross event happens because it's only in the cross that you understand what he's about and what the kingdom of God is about. But people don't want to wait that long. And they like Jesus the healer, so they talk about Jesus the healer who teaches with authority. So this story is right at the beginning of the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. The whole of the Gospel of Mark is the beginning of the, go of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That first line is the title. And then the rest of the Gospel is the beginning. And Mark's Gospel finishes in a really weird place, like the bit that Mark wrote, finishes at chapter 16, verse 8. Now those of you who know your Bibles will know that's a very strange place to finish. For those of you who can't remember that bit, I'll tell you. Jesus rises, 
sees the woman, tells the woman to go back and tell the men that he will meet them in Galilee. That's it. That's the end of Mark's Gospel. No other stories. There are stories. Somebody else wrote those stories. There are two versions of other endings that they put on the end of Mark's Gospel. But Mark's Gospel finishes at verse 8. So there are two possibilities. One is the end of the scroll got chopped off. We don't know how he really finishes it. Or that's exactly where Mark wanted to finish it. Because his gospel was the beginning of the good news. So what happens next in the good news? Well, that's for us to tell. That's why we need to be able to tell our stories about how we encounter the God using those words that we thought about right at the beginning. Mark's gospel wasn't the story. Mark's gospel is the beginning of the story which carries on and we continue that story in the stories that we tell. Which takes us back to today's story. What is Jesus incensed at? What is Jesus snorting in anger and distaste at? Is it the man who is breaking all the rules, getting in his way, stuffing up his life? Dumping all his plans, so now he's going to have to come up with plan B and C? Or is it something else? Is it the powers that inhibit people, the powers that prevent people from flourishing and thriving, the powers that sicken people? give people skin disease, the powers that infect people with unclean spirits, the powers that tell people that they can't live in the community and they have to live out in the wilderness. Is it the powers that hold people in poverty? Who, the powers that discriminate against people simply because of their race, not Jew, Gentile. Is it the powers that discriminate against people because of their colour? One of the ways of understanding the kingdom of God is that God came to break all of those powers so that this world can return to being a place where all can thrive and flourish. Now is the time the kingdom of God has come. What is that kingdom? That kingdom is a place where all can thrive and flourish. Just like Mark, Matthew describes in the Beatitudes. Just like Luke describes in chapter 4. With his little mission statement which he takes from Isaiah. A world where all can flourish. And where are those powers broken? On the cross. The cross is not about appeasing an angry God. The cross is about breaking the powers that hold this world that hold this world and corrupt this world and cause all of those things. Those powers are defeated on the cross. That is the good news of God's mind-blowing kingdom. 
So when we go beyond this as simply a healing story, but actually this is God breaking powers so that all can thrive, that should blow our minds. That should change our hearts and lives. And we can trust that good news. That's what Mark is saying. We can join the continuing story of that kingdom, bringing freedom, offering life to all. We can begin that journey. So this is not just a healing story. This is a big story which holds the whole of this gospel story in it. Well, on Wednesday, we're into Lent. Tuesday, we're doing pancakes. Wednesday, we're into Lent. Seven weeks of prayer and fasting. Seven weeks of reflecting on who is this God that we believe in, that we are invited to trust. And as we read the Gospels, I invite us to think about how we join in God, in cre- how we join in with God in creating a world where all can flourish. So some questions. What do we need to flourish? And how can we provide a place for others to flourish? And finally, how might we join this work of creating a world where all can flourish? So I invite you to turn around and have a conversation about those three questions. You can't do all three of them. Pick one, have a quick conversation, and then we'll do some praying.